Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Lunchtime edition of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Listener questions live. We're going to be taking your questions that you either have submitted to us in the recent past or uh, maybe even today. We're going to play a little catch up on that front because there are quite a few questions that we've received over the past couple of weeks. And since we haven't done a listener questions episode in a bit, we're going to catch up on some of those. We're getting some new ones today. We're going to get to as many as we can, but welcome to the program once again, one of our special listener questions live episodes. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, uh, you ready to sift through all these and give everybody the answers they want? (laughs) Uh, Maybe not the answers they want, but definitely the answers they need. So let's let's dive into it. Right, right. Uh, Let's start with, uh, well, before we get to them, I just want to remind people, if you want to get your questions in, Shoot them in the live chats, either on uh, Cincy Jungle's Facebook page or on the Orange and Black Insider live YouTube chat. Go there. You can tweet them at us, at BengalsOBI on Twitter. You can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. We also have our uh, phone line open, 949-542-6241. So give us a call, shoot us a text. And we'll be here for a little bit answering all those questions. So let's start here. We got this one today from Brandon, a text. Considering there were three injured Bengals receivers on the injury report in 2019, do you think it's likely the Bengals will go wide receiver in round two? I kind of think what he means by that is, you know, John Ross was IR returned, AJ Green, IR um, you know, Adam Tate was in and out of the lineup and a lot of injuries at that position group. And a lot of questions going in, a lot of talent and a lot of potential, but a lot of questions going in there. So how how likely do you think wide receiver is the pick at, at, in round two? I know in our recent mock, we did not go that route. I think um, if it comes down to it being best player available or just the highest player on the board, I think it's definitely in the conversation. It's going to depend entirely upon um, if they uh, give John Ross his fifth year option and what they do with AJ Green, because there's a lot of long term question marks there. But I think with, in theory, what they have going forward, if they sign AJ Green to a long-term deal, if John Ross you know, is, is in the fold for the next year or two, they, are, they already have Tyler Boyd and, and Alex Erickson on Tate. I think they're going to be more comfortable than, than at most positions comparatively. Again, if it comes down to if they have a really high-graded guy at the top of the second round that they have like a first-round guy, he's going to be in the conversation probably because you know they're going to want to build around Burrow in this draft. But I don't think it's more likely that they go there compared to like anywhere on defense or maybe like an interior offensive lineman. Yeah, I, you know, I I think it would be in some respects pretty exciting if they went wide receiver in round two just because, you know, you've got your quarterback and you're really loading up on the skill positions and you're really making a commitment to potentially put points on the board. And really, John, if you remember – 
throughout most of the season, the Bengals were scoring, were averaging about two touchdowns per game, and that was it on, on mm-hmm. offense. So they need to put points up on the board. I know the injuries were there, and that hindered things. The offensive line play was atrocious, but uh, you know, I think they need to get Joe Mixon a little more involved than they did in, in the beginning of the year, as evidenced what happened at the end of the year. But they also need to to replenish the weapons. I don't know that round two is the place to do that, especially with the depth in this year's wide receiver class in the draft. Right. Uh, I, I think you could you could probably go early day three and still get a guy that could be a heavy contributor right away for you. Um, and really, in, in most other drafts, it would be a, a round two type of player. But just the immense depth this year, I, I think maybe that's what makes them hold off. Maybe round three, um, you know, maybe that's where they where they look. But, uh, you know, it all depends also what they do on the first couple of days and weeks in free agency. I wanted to go here next, John, and, and you can you can choose the next one. Um, but it, it was there was a text we got from Dan in Tennessee, and it kind of coincides with a comment from Brendan Burns in the live Facebook chat. Um, you know, we're sick of talking. We, we addressed it on our last show, kind of talking about all the chatter and this narrative that's almost kind of sabotaging the Bengals' efforts to get Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. But, you know, his his dad, Joe Burrow's dad, has come out and said, I don't know where this is coming from, blah, 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 blah. But the, the troubling thing, John, is it's not just Dan Patrick. It's not just Mike Florio. It's not, you know, these these the guys on ESPN that are kind of bad-mouthing the Bengals and saying his career is going to die there before it even starts. A lot of them are from former Bengals who have been there, done that, served under Mike Brown and, and Paul Brown and have seen things that uh, – and their voicing concerns. Are you worried, based on some of these questions, that the former Bengals kind of speaking out and voicing their concerns publicly. Are you worried that that's kind of getting into Joe Burrow's head as he looks to be the number one pick for the Bengals? No, because there's like, like what's, what is the point of worrying? Because it's, it's going to happen. They're going, they're going to take him. And for, by all accounts, he's not going to pull any eye Manning. He's not going to, he's just not that type of person. That's not the advice that he's getting from his family. That's not the communication that actually matters between the organization and the Burrow family. Like I, I don't, like if we're worried about this, it says more about how we feel about the Bengals than what we what we would like to care to admit. Because we're all in this defensive mode about you know the Bengals aren't this bad. They're not bad compared to other bad franchises who are selecting a franchise quarterback. They go back to the the five consecutive playoff wins or five consecutive playoff appearances, and you know the the wins the past ten years. I've, I've been seeing that argument a lot in comparison to other bad organizations. But if we're really feeling this defensive about it, and when we're seeing this much chatter about it, it's because we realize that the Bengals are incompetent in a way that not. A lot of, not a, a lot of other batter franchises are. It's a different level of organizational competence, which is why some of this chatter is happening. It's also completely manufactured because there is no debate about who is the number one pick, and this is the type of conversation and discourse that these guys need to fill the time with. But it's going to happen. There's no point in worrying about it, and unless we're hearing something directly from the Burrow family about something like this, I don't think that there's any point in worrying about it. And like, if these players, if they're speaking, if these former players are speaking honestly about the Bengals organization, there's weight to that, and we have to recognize that these problems do exist, and this is something that Burrow is going to have to overcome regardless. But I don't think that what, however long this dialogue continues, it's going to affect Burrow in any way, shape or form. Yeah, I don't think so either. Uh, you know, I think uh, I think, you know, I, I, he's a confident guy and I don't so I don't want to say this kind of in a wrong way. But I do think that given where he was just a couple of years ago in his college career, a guy who may not have even had a shot uh, with a pro team 
Uh, I mean, you know, he was a backup guy at Ohio State, wasn't getting playing time, had to transfer. And just the way his college career arc has gone, I think he's kind of just enamored with the fact that, you know, I'll take being the number one overall pick along with being a national champion MVP of that game and having one of, if not the best college season ever by a uh, by a college quarterback. So, you know, I think he's kind of just saying, I'll take it, I'll ride with it, and we'll we'll go we'll go from there. I don't think the chatter is getting to him. It is it is uh, it is concerning, and I understand the concerns, but um, I, I don't I don't see that being the case with the Cincinnati Bengals. TSF the next one, John. All right, we got a a question from the um, the post on Cincy Jungle from Low Cash or Low Cash Cad two seven seven. Yeah, he, he's asking about uh, the chatter about you know. With upcoming free agency and, and, and the draft about talking with Jeff Hobson and Duke Tobin. He's getting the feeling that the offensive line is going to be relatively the same going into 2020. Do you feel the same? And if not, where would you be looking for them to upgrade? I think that you're you're pretty much on the right track there. I think for the most part, you're going to have General Williams at left tackle. You're going to have Trey Hopkins at center. You're going to have probably a competition between Bobby Hart and Fred Johnson at right tackle. You're going to have John Miller being brought back, maybe with some competition there. And I think you can pencil in Michael Jordan as a starter. So for the most part, those are a lot of the same bodies, a lot of the same names. But honestly, like you know, there's no sugarcoating it. The offense line's bad. It's bad compared to the rest of the rest of the league. But it's a different level where they're trying to build something and they're trying to build chemistry there. And I think obviously there's the, there's development concerns or they're they're wanting to develop Michael Jordan and they want to see what they have in Jonah Williams and they want to see what they have in Fred Johnson. So it's a relatively young group and in and in a way, you want to completely blow that up because you might have some promise there. And you definitely saw promise in Jordan as the season went on. And you feel comfortable with having Hopkins and Williams at both those spots. But, yeah, I don't think that you're going to see necessarily an offensive lineman taken in round two because I don't think they see it as that big of a need. But there is going to be definitely some competition at a couple of the spots. But, it's, but for the most part, I think you're going to have more uh, starters back than not. I, I agree with you, and I know that's not going to be music to Bengals fans' ears. I think they want to see that big tackle come in and, and maybe take over the right spot, um, maybe even another interior lineman to help uh, bring some competition to the guard spots. The whole key to this, John, to me, is Cordy Glenn. What are they going to do with Cordy Glenn? If Cordy Glenn is in the long-term plans, if, if that relationship has been mended, whatever was going on there, if that relationship has been mended, and when he came in late in the season, the offensive line – played better. They were blocking. They, they blocked better in the run game. They were able to get more points. Uh, you know, it's not coincidence that he came in and when he, when he was in there and played and his, his head was in the right space, I hate using that term given his injury, but when his, when, when he was there, um, you know, there was a noticeable difference. If you have him, you have Jonah Williams come back, Bobby Hart, you, it would be a hard sell, but they could say Bobby Hart played well uh, towards the end of the year, which was, I mean, I guess well for Bobby Hart standards, but played better towards the end of the year. You re-sign Trey Hopkins. He's going to be your long time, your long-term center there. What happens at right guard? You know, it, it's really kind of the guard spots, you know, and, and if they keep Cordy Glenn, then that's just really one spot that seems to be up for a major debate. Maybe right tackle. I don't see it. They seem to be just enamored with Bobby Hart, and that's. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think they're committed there at least for the next couple of seasons. So I think really the big question is what they're going to do at right guard, and then the other guard spot if Cordy Glenn does not come back. But they've got money invested there, and I don't know that the trade market's going to be there for Cordy Glenn based on what happened last year. 
Yeah, and it's almost a foregone conclusion that Glenn's not going to be around some capacity. Like you said, the trade market's probably not going to be there. If they can get a six or seven round pick, they should absolutely go for it. But I think they're more inclined to just release him and, and let him find whatever team he wants to go to. But yeah, like that that definitely opens up a spot for them to draft maybe a developmental tackle and uh, and give more competition to whatever guard they bring in. But yeah, Glenn's probably not here for, the, for any longer. I think that was probably written in the stars with how the season played out, but he, he does still have some talent. So there is a chance that they can maybe find a trade partner with him, but I think they're going to ride with Jonah Williams at left tackle and, and see what they have right now when, in the right tackles that they have. Uh, what, what do you got next for us? Uh, let's do a text from Ken Dipple, a uh, regular listener, and he's, he's in contact with us quite a bit. Um, so he's, he's been the guy that's really on the Antonio Gandhi golden, the, the small school kid from Liberty, who's kind of a height, weight, speed project guy. So he, he sent us a lot of texts about that, but really there's kind of a question I took out of, uh, what he was, what he was sending us. And really it's, if the Bengals were to look at a wide receiver in the draft, do you want kind of the. Uh, you know, the Justin Jefferson hands route running type of guy, or do you want the burner and add some speed and sizzle to this offense? Um, you know, there's, there are pros and cons to each, but the Bengals will probably only take one wide receiver, I would think. But, uh, you know, if, and if that's the case, do you have a particular skill set that you would prioritize over the other, because probably when they're drafting, they're not going to get the the whole package. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's really kind of the first round, maybe second round. Um, they're probably going to look later than that. And so it's probably going to be hands route running or speed, not both. But if you had to choose a skill set, what would it be? I think because building a receiving core is, is more unique, I think than most, because you can afford to have, Type, niche type players that have different types of roles and fill different type, types of roles and therefore have different types of skill sets just with how last season turned out when they lost AJ Green and they didn't have John Ross for most of the season they just didn't have any threat of speed on the field and that was a problem in 2016 when they had Brandon LaFell before they drafted John Ross and it was one of the reasons why they drafted John Ross in the first place and you know with, with a better quarterback it might not have been that much of a problem but when you don't have a quarterback that can throw that can you know throw the ball down the field and, and attack all levels of the field that lack of speed at the receiving position really hurt them so i think if they had to prioritize one it would probably be more of a speed and probably more of a vertical threat you know i, I would prefer to have more of an all-around guy and i don't think you should probably limit yourself to just one trait but i think if they had to you know target one specific type of receiver it's probably going to be somebody who can compensate for what John Ross brings to the field. It's not, it's not going to be the 4-2-2 speed, but if they need if they need you know to compensate for that lack of speed, I think that's the direction they're probably going to go in. I, I get it, and I, I have a hard time disagreeing with you. I mean, when you look at A.J. Green out of the lineup, you look at John Ross out of the lineup, your guys that you have out there, Auden Tate, you know, probably a 4-6, 4-7 speed guy. You've got Alex Erickson, definitely not a burner. Um, you know, Damian Willis, Decent speed. I mean, there's a lot of eh in terms of, of the speed department. Here's my thing, though, John. The Bengals had John Ross. He hasn't been able to consistently produce. Yes, it's the injuries, but he hasn't been able to be trusted by quarterbacks because he's not running the right routes. He's not catching the football, that sort of thing. You, you also have, uh, you know, guys, they, they had other project guys that were 4-4 speed guys, Cody Core, Josh Malone, these guys that had the speed 
and they just were not reliable targets because they weren't getting open. Yeah, sometimes it's the speed that gets you open, but a lot of times it's the savviness, it's knowing the offense, and that's what I think a lot of the guys on the LSU offense were, were able to do. You know, they were able to find holes, to, and, and Joe Burrow was able to kind of throw them open. To me, I, I, I understand the speed, um, and I could go either way with this, but I, I do see the value in a guy that can be trusted, that's going to make the tough catches, like a Tyler Boyd. Right, Tyler Boyd's not a burner, but a, a, a guy that can can make the plays, can get open, find spaces in defenses, and let Joe Burrow kind of work the sticks, move down the field, and and get chunk yardage that way. Um, maybe not as exciting as as the bombs away type of attack that you would want, but uh, you know I, I think this team needs guys who can stay healthy, guys who can catch the football, and guys that can find openings. And yes, speed can do that, but I think also knowing the playbook and and knowing your roles also do that. And again, like with a better quarterback who's less or more inclined to, to try to fit throws into tight windows and to, to distribute the ball over the cross the field, you can get away with not having a lot of speed. That's right. how the Patriots have been able to do what they've been done for, for so many years. So you can get away with it. It's just a matter of how much they're willing to change their, their philosophy with a new quarterback in the building. We're going to go back to the post. We have a question from UAW Bree 412 and he essentially uh, I'm paraphrasing because it's a more, more of a long question, but Will we continue to see more of a 3-4 style of defense going forward? If we do, are we going to see the Bengals start targeting different types of players in the drafts and free agency? And lastly, who is the bigger hole that started to replace Drake or Patrick or Sean Williams? So starting with the first part, I do think that because the defense is not going to change tremendously in terms of personnel, the, the what they what Lou and Arumo um, kind of adjusted towards and, and shifted his philosophy towards last year, I think is what more of what we're, what we're going to see for. We did see, you know, how it benefited Sam Hubbard and Carlos Dunlap. Um, it, it continued to see Geno Atkins perform at a high level. You saw great years out of Andrew Billings and Josh Tupo, moving those guys around in different technique spots and also limiting how much negative damage that your linebackers can do because you're only having two on the field at the same time and um you know putting Jermaine Pride in his more natural position at the, at the inside linebacker spot it benefited a lot of the guys in the front seven and it made that unit more cohesive and more better up front so I think that's kind of what we're going to see more of going forward and it's not going to be a completely three four defense it's it, it, that just, it just doesn't exist in the NFL anymore they're going to be obviously in those even front nickel situations but I think with the personnel that they have now it's probably safe to say that that's what they're going to base it off of and you're you are going to see maybe more of those Carl Lawson type players being added into the draft, and maybe maybe they don't even draft a true linebacker in this draft. Maybe they draft like in our mock draft from a couple weeks ago. We we had them going Terrell Lewis from Alabama, who is an edge rusher, but can also stand up and, and be more of a, in a two point stance as, as a linebacker in those types of odd front schemes. So maybe that's the direction that they go instead of drafting a traditional linebacker to try to implement him more into the scheme that they want to go. Yeah, my thing with it, John, is have a plan and draft the players that fit that plan. If you want to go more 3-4, cool, do it. But go get a guy like a Terrell Lewis that's going to be able to to provide you potentially some flexibility. Go get, you know, we got roasted a little bit by some of the commenters on Cincy Jungle for that Lewis pick. But, you know, there was a lot of signals with that that made sense. Senior Bowl, guy that could potentially play strong side linebacker standing up and rush off the edge potentially defense in round two, what Dave Lapham said. That's why we went that route. But my thing is, I, I don't I don't necessarily know if the Bengals will go for sure more three, four looks or not. The 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 thing is, is if you are if that is in Anarumo's plan, 
draft the guys that fit that because he's working with guys, a, a Sam Hubbard, that's more of a, an edge guy. That's not necessarily an outside linebacker type of guy. You're dropping Dunlap in coverage at times. You're dropping Andrew Billings in coverage at times. So they're kind of working. They're trying to do these hybrid looks, these three, four looks with guys that are of the four, three system that they inherited from Marvin Lewis. So if they are going to mix things up, they need to add in some guys that, um, you know, can maybe do a little bit of both. Like you said, I, I think maybe they're hybrid edge guys that they look at as defensive players instead of just a, a two down outside linebacker type of guy. Um, and, and we'll see how that goes. But we also had that question asked of us by Tay Walker uh, via email. So very similar and obviously a lot. I, I mean, I'd like to think and I think the Bengals need to based on how they got run over on on defense last year. I think they need to mix looks up, mix things up, get more edge, you know, edge pressure, especially earlier in the season. But, um, you know, they need to they need to have a vision and, and get the players that fit that vision instead of we, we talked about this this last week. Instead of kind of saying, hey, this, this guy's a really good player, we'll find a fit for him, have a scheme and find players that fit the scheme. Um, that That's kind of uh, what the Bengals have not done so well at going forward in the offseason. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're taking questions for a few more minutes. We've got uh, a couple more queued up. Get them to us. Email, call, text uh, through the live chat. The comment section on cincyjungle.com. You can tweet them at us, all that good stuff. If you are unable to join us live, you can get this program by subscribing to any number of audio channels. We're on a lot of different platforms. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Leave us a rating. We, We appreciate that. And when you subscribe, you'll get notified as to when we're going live. So you are able to join us as we record these these episodes. We appreciate the support. John, I cut you off there when I was doing our little show promo. I think you had something else to add. Yeah, just real quick in the comments section when we were talking about that whole discussion from Brandon Allen Penrod on Facebook. How do you feel about a versatile guy like Zach Bond at 33? That's a guy I'm actually kind of 
that, that, basically what I was alluding to in terms of a guy who's more of the, of the linebacker size. He could play, you know, you know, in a two point stance off the ball, but can also provide a pass rush. So I've just, I just wanted to say that out loud because he was kind of reading my mind in terms of what the player I was thinking of. So kudos to you, Brandon. Yeah, let's let's uh, unless we get a couple more here, we can maybe end on this because it's a good segue off of what we were talking about on the defense. And um, I think the last question mentioned this player and Dre Kirkpatrick. Um, it's, we had an email from Thomas Mack asking about the viability of Dre Kirkpatrick potentially transitioning to a safety role, you know, sometimes it hasn't been as frequent lately, but sometimes you see corners transition into a safety role. Maybe they lose a step. They're at the end of their career, that sort of thing. The Thomas's, you know, Thomas's uh, take on this is, you know, he's got decent size. He's about six, one, 200 pounds. He's always kind of been a willing tackler. Um, and, you know, he's got the length and all that kind of stuff uh, tends to get kind of, behind he, he tends to get a lot of pis and stuff on the on the boundary so maybe kind of creating a rover role or something like that would that make sense for drake kirkpatrick or is just this a guy that should really be looked at pretty heavily as a cap casualty this year um definitely the latter but also like like with, with, with corners, it's kind of like offensive line. If you don't notice them, you know, they're pretty much doing their job. But when you do notice Dre, it's always either he gets grabby or he gets bitten by double moves, like yep. consistently. And, and that was more of a, a frequent issue later in his career, but it still it still does pop up every now and then. He's just kind of like a goofball out there. You know, you can't really trust him in space. You prefer him in just bumping around coverage, but he doesn't have the, the nuance in terms of handwork to really, you know, thrive in, in bumper on coverage 100 percent of the time so i think it's not really the case with leon hall when, when he was more of in a safety in, in the latter part of his career it kind of worked out because he was a fluid mover in space and he could trust his eyes i think with kirkpatrick the more space you you, you put him in between in terms of just taking deep shells and coverages i think the more volatile of a player he gets and he's already a pretty volatile player i think he is who he is and i don't think moving him from cornerback is going to make him a better player it could honestly make him only a worse player and i think with how much money they're paying him now. That's a lot of money for a safety to make in, in the, anyways. So if he's not that good of a cornerback and you have better options to go with at the position with the money he's making, I think it's more of the fact that you just got to move on from him than just try to change positions. Yeah. I'm, I'm pulling up some of his, uh, some of his statistics here. Here's the concerning thing. And, and it depends on what you want out of your corners and what you want out of your safeties. I think all in all, the Bengals would love to create more turnovers. That is something they have not done. And even with Dre missing, you know, he misses a couple of games here and there in 2016, 2017, 2018, and then missed quite a bit in 2019. Here's the thing, John, since 2017, over, over three seasons, granted he, he missed some time last year, but one interception. Um, you know, I, that's not the, the only indicator of cornerback success in the NFL, but it's a big one. And, uh, you know, oh, I want to see his dropped interceptions to be honest with you. It's, yeah, that, high. <laughs> it's, it's high. I mean, and that's, that's a good point because you look, you look at here passes defended, you know, 16, 10, 14, nine. I mean, I would venture to guess that at least, in, in from 2016 through 2018, at least five of those were dropped interceptions uh, combined over those over those seasons. I mean, there are just there's an immense amount of those. So uh, that kind of stuff kills them also. But uh, you know, it, it's an interesting idea to think about having Drake Kirkpatrick move into safety. 
I don't know. I don't know that that would would work. I, I think you'd maybe need to create some sort of kind of a roverish role and let him kind of have free reign a little bit. But like you said, sometimes he just gets uh, out of control mm-hmm. <laughs> what he plays. And when you, when you give a guy free reign like that, and he has a propensity to kind of get out of control, it's a little scary. So, um, you know, I, I, maybe it's a year the Bengals hang on to him for one more year and draft a corner higher than we think and uh, mm-hmm. groom that corner to be his heir apparent. But um, you know, it is, it is a, a critical off season at that position and for Drake or Patrick, definitely. Right. Any, any others you want to get to before we get out of here? Uh, let's go one more. We go Rob Crut from the Facebook uh, comment section. How aggressive do you think the Bengals will be in free agency this year? And he asked two or three, two to three starters or just squad players. Um, it, it's the biggest. It's one of the biggest questions we have because we don't know how much more aggressive they're going to be, knowing that they have any. They're going to get Andy Dolan's contract off the book. They're going to now be building around a rookie quarterback. I do think we're going to see at least two starters in free agency signed, and depending on you know the quality of those players. It, it, it'll be up in the air, but you know, it, I think they're going to address some something in the linebacker position because they don't have a lot of, of bodies there in, in the first place. But I, I, again, it's not going to be these high level players that you know we want every year. But I, I do think that they're going to be a little bit more active because they do have more room to work with, and they're do, working with a, a new type of scenario and a new way of you know building around this team. I think they realized that they can't all do with the draft. They got really lucky with the draft. So now that they have a little bit more space to work with, I think you're going to see maybe one or two you know, mid-level starters, more so than what they did last year, but not at the level of you know what other teams are. So we are ending the show in uh, the, the one of the best ways I can think of. We've got good friend John from Kentucky on the line. John, how are you, sir? Oh, you're too nice. I appreciate that, Andy. I'm doing great, and let me just get right to the point. All my friends, all the Bengal buddies that I know or whatnot, we've already put Joe Burrow in next season, and he's going to do this and he's going to do that. But I think we better slow down. And let me ask both you and John, do you think there's any strong probabilities that Joe Burrow, not the Bengals, I don't see the Bengals changing their mind on him at all. I would firmly think they would take him for all the right reasons. But do you think, do you see the media getting to Joe Burrow enough to where he says, you know, I think I want to play for somebody else? We talked about this a little bit uh, earlier in the show and, and this week, John. It's a good question. And it is the, the most burning question on everybody's mind right now. Uh, yeah. You, you know, I, I don't, I don't think so. I really, I don't think. Uh, I don't think he's going to pass up being the number one overall pick. I don't, and, and, you know, to, I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening. I don't see, I, I think he may go into the situation a bit cautious and a bit tenuous, but uh, you know, I, I think overall it's, it's, it's Burrow and that's what it's, what's going to happen. He's, he's an Ohio kid anyway. So you know, he's kind of quote unquote going back home. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't, I don't see it really playing out another way unless something completely falls apart. Maybe he gets, I think one thing that everybody's forgetting is he still has really yet to meet with Zach Taylor, the coaching staff, Brian Callahan, all of that. And, and that could go, I mean, it could go either way, but it could be something that Hey, you know what? I like the vision and the plan that Zach Taylor has in place for me 
and my skill set. So that's that. I, I think I think there's a lot still to be played out here, but I, I think overall it's it's Burrow, and that's that's going to be the case. John, I don't know if you want to reiterate what you said earlier. Everything that we know about Joe Burrow says that's completely against what he would want to do. The, the, the guy in that shirt, he's got his leg crossed with, with a cigar in his mouth. That's not the guy that, that would, be, would be afraid or passive of a situation because a lot of talking heads are trying to talk him out of it. He's handled the situation extremely well, and he's not going to base his mind off or a decision like this off of what guys in the media are pressuring him to do. I don't think you can possibly pressure Joe Burrow. We saw on the football field. Now we're seeing it in the media as well. I don't think this is, this is the, the person that he is. And I don't think it's going to happen like that. Yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for calling, John. I uh, hope you have a good weekend coming up here. I don't know if you got big plans or anything, but thanks yeah, for calling. Good no, to hear. I really appreciate you taking my call. And honestly, the only other team that would have a realistic chance of getting Burrow would be the Dolphins. And I mean, come on. The Dolphins have basically been nothing since Dan Marino was there. That's been a long time ago. Cincinnati's record in the past 10 years is much better than theirs, and I think that would be a much wiser choice for Joe Burrow. But, hey, yeah, thanks for taking my call, guys. I appreciate that today. No problem. Good to hear from you, man. Been been a while. All right. Who did? The other thing that – the other thing here that a lot of people – and, I, you know, I I was thinking about this last night, John – it's not like the Miami ownership has been a, a beacon of of how to how how to run a football team. I mean, they've been kind of a mess. Um, I mean, I guess newer stadium, all that kind of stuff. You can kind of sit there and say that, but I mean, it's not like it. That's that's been you know. It's not like he's turning down maybe a, a Patriots type of uh, opportunity for. I, I don't know. I, I just. It's just funny how how that narrative has been created. But it has nothing to do with team success, and that's the one thing that Bengals fans are clinging on to as their as their beacon of hope in this in this scenario. Like the Dolphins are not any more successful; they're actually less successful than the Bengals in recent years. I get that, but the Dolphins at least have shown the propensity to try new things. They didn't keep a head coach for 16 years. They haven't kept the same ownership and management philosophy for 30 years with no playoff wins. There's a difference when it comes to the Bengals and their perception with the media and how competitive and how willing they are to build a championship roster. It's why they're different in the sense of the Browns for the Browns change things every three years because they're trying new things the Bengals have been complacent for so long that that's the perception and the, and the narrative that the media is clinging on to and that's why you're getting this type of conversation it, they, they aren't as bad as the Dolphins they actually might be better than the Dolphins in terms of recent success and whatnot but it's just not the point that everyone's trying to make it's the Bengals it's the team that's complacent to an absolute fault it's a team that you know ran Carson Palmer out, out of town that's where all this is coming from it has nothing to do with how much success and how much luck that they had in the draft from the past 10 years or so it has everything to do with what they have been for the past 30 years and why that hasn't led to any success past just a, a playoff appearance yep and we we said this before that's very well said john and we said this last week this is an opportunity for the Bengals. they could look at this a couple of ways it's either the same old nobody knows anything we're the smartest people in the room and you nobody knows what they're talking about we know what we're talking about or they could use it as an opportunity and run with it to say, we're going to do things a little different. We're not going to have another number one overall pick kind of drag our name through the mud, through the media, quit on us, all that kind of stuff, because we're going to give him the best chance to succeed. Um, very interesting article put out uh, by the Sporting News. I tweeted mm-hmm. it out on my account. Uh, there are a couple things in there where it was painted a little rosier picture for the Bengals than than maybe what what could be said. But overall, I think it was a, a well-done article that kind of said, look, this isn't the wasteland 
that everybody makes it out to be. There were opportunities for Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton to be successful and, and create kind of a little dynasty and uh, bad luck and other things got in the way. Yes, there was some mismanagement in terms of personalities, the, the bad boys of the mid 2000s, that sort of thing that kind of got in their own way. But, um, you know, I, I think also coaching at, to some degree was was to blame and, and all kinds of different issues. So, um, you know, I, I, I just think this is blown way out of proportion. And I think that this is something that just it's it's kind of a dead air time for the NFL right now until the combine and until pro days and free agency. And they got to fill the air a little bit. And this is an easy narrative based on the fact that the Bengals aren't a popular team. Mike Brown is not a popular guy within the owner's circles. And they're very introverted, uh, as as you said, John. I mean, they don't like to go out and talk about what they're doing or blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, I think they just kind of become this easy target. And, uh, you know, and, and now that they have the number one pick, instead of hearing about how they could immediately change things around with the right picks, it's all about if the guy's not going to play for him. So it's, it's also interesting to me, Arizona last year, this wasn't talk with Arizona. They're not, a you know, they're the, the Bidwells that own them aren't necessarily known as you know, the best owners in football either. So it's just, uh, I guess it comes comes with the territory here. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Get our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, YouTube. All of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com, as well as the show's Orange is the New Black, the podcast from Ace Boogie and Zim Huday, and Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk, the film review. He's taken a couple weeks off on the video portions of the podcast, but has put out audio. So get that. He'll be ramping up all kinds of different stuff. We appreciate your feedback, your questions, and for tuning in during this kind of lunchtime uh, episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, listener questions live. Get us your questions. Hey, even if you didn't get a question in right now, if you want to send us one in any number of ways to be answered on our next listener questions episode, go ahead and do that. We did that with a couple of questions today. So um, we still monitor those, get those to us. We appreciate the support. Have a great rest of the weekend. Thanks, John. Thank you, man.